Well, if you know me very well, or even just a little bit, you might have figured out by now that I am an obsessive assessor. That's the nice way to put it. Uh, some of you have uh, stronger words to put it, but I'm an obsessive as- assessor. What I mean by that is I just, for some reason, the way, the way I look at life is through the eyes of constant, uh, the way I look through life are through the eyes of constant assessment. I'm constantly assessing, like, how, how are things working? Where can we improve? Where, where can we do better? Uh, where are we falling short? With a little bit of energy, how can we take this to the next level? And, and so I'm kind of looking through, through life, through, uh, at life through these eyes of, of just continually, you know, wanting things to improve, but also noticing all of the places where we aren't there yet, where we haven't yet uh, improved. And so um, if you're someone in my life, um, it feels maybe a little like this sometimes, um, if you're in my family, if you work with me, that I'm someone who's constantly always just like, all right, more, harder, harder, and it can be a little overwhelming. But, but it's also, this is how I am with me too. I'm like both of those guys there. Um, because when you live life this way, you discover that, you know, it's not just other people that you do this to, but you become your own worst critic. And so a few years ago, I was, I was going through a season where I was just doing my, my assessing thing. I was just just doing it because that's how I live and that's what I do. And, and I was looking at life and there were all these things in life that just weren't how they needed to be. And, you know, my health and uh, my relationships and work and, and home life and just none of the stuff seemed to be in the right place. And as I was assessing more and more, the more out of control I felt, the more stressed I felt, the more overwhelmed I felt with all of it. And I wasn't sure what to do about all of it, but it was just kind of building, building, mounting. And, uh, and I'm trying to fix all of it and I'm feeling absolutely overwhelmed and just generally dissatisfied with life. And then someone came along and they gave me one of these. Anyone know what this is? What is that? You see what it is? Get real close camera. I'll try to hold still. Uh, Anyone know what this is? Yeah, someone's saying it up here up front. It's a silver bullet. What are silver bullets good for? Killing werewolves. Um, yeah, that's right. Killing werewolves. And because of that, silver bullets have kind of been known as a thing that silver bullets can do anything. Right? A silver bullet's kind of a metaphor now. Um, and it just means, you know, the solution, the magical solution to all of your problems, it is a silver bullet. So someone in this season of just kind of just being torn up by all the things in life that weren't going well and just being totally rattled by those things, someone came along and gave me a silver bullet. Now, not literally this silver bullet. Um, this is just a symbol. I was going to bring in a can of Coors Light, and then I thought better of it because I didn't want you guys to think I had that bad of taste in beer. So um, instead, I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I have a friend actually who has, this is a legitimate pure silver bullet, and he let me borrow it today. Yes, that's right. I have a friend who has silver bullets. I'm not sure why, um, but, uh, but I do. And this is just a representative of what someone did for me a couple of, a representation of what someone did for me a couple of years ago. Because someone gave me a metaphorical silver bullet, and that person was uh, Steve Howard. Um, and he's a, he's a good friend of mine, a mentor, the former senior pastor here. And, uh, and he gave me this metaphorical silver bullet. And he helped me see that there's one thing that I could do in my life, one thing that would help almost all of those stressors, the overwhelmed feeling that I was living with. Uh, he, he helped me see that there's one thing that I could do that would make almost all of those things go away or become much less. And that one thing, that, that silver bullet that he began to teach me was gratitude. Now, 
I didn't think of myself as an ungrateful person, but I began to understand that I had a long way to go in a gratitude journey. And so I started digging into gratitude to figure out, is this really a silver bullet? And I was blown away by all of the research that exists out there that talks about the discipline or the practice of gratitude and how that affects every part, every part of your life. And so I, I, I did the research and then I started trying it out. I started practicing it. And so I would write a gratitude journal in the morning. I'd start writing things I was grateful. Have you ever done that? Like, no, okay, no one has. Um, no one has. You're like, um, a few of you have done that. It's a really powerful practice, isn't it? For the four of you who've done that. It's a really powerful thing when you start uh, listing out the things that you're grateful for. And then I, you know, I started doing, I started rethinking, re-engineering my prayer life. Because my prayer life, I found myself doing a lot of asking and asking's okay. But I decided to spend a little more time in my prayers and when I pray with my kids, just giving thanks. Instead of asking for a lot of things, still ask for things, but I spent more time giving thanks for things. And uh, in the morning, I started doing a, a ritual for those of you who are on time, like Chris Toomey led us through uh, at the beginning of the service, a thing where I would just prime my, my mind and my heart for gratitude in the day, um, first thing in the morning, by thinking about things that bring me joy and just really sinking deep into those things. And I, I, for three years, I've been on this journey. And I feel like I've only moved the needle maybe this much, but I'm blown away by how powerful this, this thing of gratitude is. And here's what I want you to know as we begin a new series today. This is a silver bullet, and there aren't many times in life where people can hand you a silver bullet and say, hey, for a lot of things that are wrong in life, this is a fix to a lot of them. And people promise that, and there are people who are making money off network marketing and multi-level marketing saying they've got this for you, and, and it's, it's hardly ever true. I'm telling you, today it's true. What we're kicking off today, it's not just like a pious thing that you should do. It's not just a moral thing to do. It is a thing that can genuinely change your life. And if you don't believe me, I, I, could, I could wear you out with the research. I'm just going to give you a summary of what gratitude begins to do. And these are documented, scientifically proven benefits of gratitude, starting with emotional benefits, make you happier, increase your well-being, positive emotions, self-esteem, reducing suicidal thoughts. Or look at these social benefits. I, I like this one, make people like us. And you know, I thought about that. I'm like, that sounds kind of weird. But, but I thought about that and never once in my life have I thought, you know, that guy is just way too grateful. Have you? And I've done that about a lot of other things. I'm easily annoyed. And so I've looked at people and I'm like, they're just too healthy. That's annoying. Or, you know, they're too spiritual. That's really annoying. Or, or they're way too happy. Does anyone else get annoyed by really happy people? I do all the time. Like, they're way too happy. Um, but I had to think about this, and I thought, never once in my life have I pointed at someone and go, man, she is just way too grateful. Like, what's wrong with her? It's never happened, so there might be something to that. Um, you know, increasing your romantic relationships, friendships, social support, strength in family. Uh, again, we're just flying through these personality benefits, make you more optimistic. I've got that on there twice, so it must really be true. Um, increase your spirituality. Make us more generous. Make us more gifted, uh, giving. Helps reduce the hold of our possessions. You can look at career benefits, make us more effective managers, reduce impatience, help us make better decisions, help us find meaning, reduce stress, or uh, finally, health benefits, you know, blood pressure, improve your sleep. I love this. Increase the frequency of your exercise. If you wake up in the morning to exercise and you just 
like you can't get out there. Instead, try this, wake up in the morning, practice gratitude because it makes it more likely for you to exercise sometime later in the day. So just start with gratitude. Don't even have to start with running uh, and eventually you'll get there. Um, physical health helps recover, helps your body recover. They've done all kinds of studies of this. People with heart attacks, people recovering from substance abuse or other traumatic events. The practice of gratitude helps you heal and recover better and quicker. And again, it's like drinking from a fire hose. But there's no wonder to me that, that dozens, if not hundreds of times throughout the scriptures, God tells us to be grateful. Because it's a silver bullet. It's, it's, it's one thing that you can do that can cause a ripple effect throughout your entire life. It can change your life. Now, for a lot of us, we wonder, okay, so how do I get there? Because maybe I'm just not a grateful person, and that's not me, right? I'm an obsessive assessor, and I'm constantly looking at life like through the things that are not right rather than the things that are right, and that's just kind of how I'm wired. And I think for a lot of us, we tend to, tend to think that you're either born a grateful person or you're not, or we tend to think that, man, you know, if I, if I just made a little more money, then I'd be grateful. Or if I was in a better relationship, then I'd be grateful. If I had a better job, man, it would be so much easier for me to be grateful. If I lived in that neighborhood, it'd be so much easier for me to be grateful. But here's what we know. Here's what we know. Deep down, we know this is true. That there are people in every neighborhood, in every kind of relationship, in every socioeconomic status level, we know that there are people in every situation who are both grateful and ungrateful. There are grateful people and ingrates in every situation that has nothing to do with our circumstances. But instead today, we're starting this journey with a simple step, a simple but profound life-changing step that is equally accessible to all of us, regardless of the place that we find ourselves in today. To introduce you to all of this, I'm going to introduce you to a guy named James. Now, James is uh, is a guy who lived, maybe there's a James in the room, not talking about you, but a guy who lived 2,000 years ago. He's actually the brother of Jesus, and he wrote a book of the Bible. He wrote a letter in the Bible that's part of the Bible. It's way near the end. And uh, James started off his life not being convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. There's this really awkward encounter, in fact, where Mary and James and the other uh, brothers, they go to try to get Jesus and take him home because they feel like Jesus is being a little too big for his britches. He's talking all this Messiah stuff and he's doing miracles. And, And so they go and they try to take Jesus home to like protect him from himself. And Jesus, you know, rebuffs them, won't even go out and see them. And it's this really awkward family moment that's recorded in scripture. And so we see early on, James struggled with Jesus's claims of himself But later on after the resurrection, James becomes convinced that Jesus, his brother, his half-brother, is the Son of God, is the Messiah. Now, if you have a sibling, how many of you have siblings? Raise your hand if you have a sibling. A lot of you have siblings, most of you, not all of you, most of you. Um, There are some people who think that your brother or sister walk on water, but you are not one of them, are you? You know. As great as they are, you know. You know their imperfections. So it's mind-boggling to me that James actually came away... Uh, saying, yeah, my brother does walk on water. He really can. Um, That means that there was something legitimate about who Jesus was. And so James writes this letter, and um, man, this this is so powerful. At the very beginning of his letter, I want you to see what he says. So he says, James, kind of introductory stuff, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. For James, he's realizing these are one one in the same, right? To serve God means to serve the Lord Jesus, that he's the son of God. And he's writing to the 12 tribes, he's writing to Jewish people who are scattered all over the Gentile world. So he's writing to to, to Jewish people. Remember, this is how Christianity began. 
It began from, um, from the Hebrew uh, Jewish religion and people began to receive Jesus as the Messiah and that's where it began. So James is writing to these people and then he dives in and here's what he says. Consider it pure joy. This is how he starts his letter. So I'm James, I'm a servant of God and of Jesus. You're the people scattered all over. I'm writing to you. And here's what I want to tell you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy, or uh, maybe better translated, all joy. Consider it total joy. Consider it nothing but joy, James says. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, right away, some of you are like, James, come on. What are you talking about? Because you're thinking of the trials in your life. You're thinking about how your car didn't start or that day where you spilled coffee all over yourself and you didn't have another shirt at work and you had to go through the day, you know, kind of covering up. And you're thinking about the last time you had that big assignment due at school and you left it at home and you realized when you got to school and you're like, I'm going to lose, you know, whole letter grade now. And you're thinking about that fight you had with someone in your life. You're thinking about your trials. And you're hearing James say, hey, whenever you face those trials, I want you to consider it total joy, pure joy, all joy, nothing but joy. And you're thinking, you crackpot, like what's wrong with you, James? But here's what I want to say, it's, it's actually crazier than it sounds. Because the people that James is writing to, these 12 tribes scattered among the, amongst the Gentiles, these are people who are facing trials of the worst kind. Some of them are being persecuted in an economic way. So because they are Jewish people and then because they're following Jesus, they're being ostracized from their communities. No one's buying what they're selling. No one's hiring them. They can't find work. So they're suffering economically. They're, they're, they're you know, lacking food. They're starving. Some of them are getting their property confiscated. Some of them are being arrested and put on trial. Some of them are even being threatened with death. See, these are the people James is writing to. And so when he's talking about trials, there's a very specific kind of trial that is coming into their minds because they're going through a really difficult time as early followers of Jesus. And James says to them, first words out of his mouth after, hey, I'm James, you're you, and now let me tell you something. He says, consider it pure joy, total joy, all joy, nothing but joy when you face those trials that I know you've been facing. Do you hear what James is saying? He's saying that that gratitude, gratitude has nothing to do with your circumstances. But instead, gratitude, the first step in this gratitude journey has everything to do with your perspective. Right? Consider it pure joy. It's all about perspective. Consider it pure joy. He's saying, I know it's not joy. I know what you're going through is not a walk in the park. I know it's really difficult, but, but I want you to look at it and I want you to consider it. I want you to look at it. I want you to see it as pure joy, total joy, all joy, nothing but joy. He's talking about perspective. Now, some of us are wondering, okay, again, that sounds crazy, but how do you get this kind of perspective? How do you begin to look at your trials in this way? What's the magic solution? What's, what's, the, what's, what's the way that you do this? Because for me, I told you, I'm an obsessive assessor, and so I walk through life, and this is not my perspective. It's not joy. It's, this isn't right. Oh my gosh, we got so far to go. We got to work harder here. We got to dig deeper here. That's my perspective. So how do you change your perspective? James tells us, you choose it. It's not exciting, is it? You were hoping for something easier. Um, But that's what he says. He says, look at the things in life 
that are so far from being joy to you, they're trials, and I want you to choose the perspective of looking at those things as pure joy. Again, if you're underwhelmed by all of this, I don't blame you, I am too. But James actually goes on, and I think he helps us with this perspective. So he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So right away he's saying, hey, you know what, there's another way to look at those trials. They're not just, you know, painful things that you're going through. It's not just suffering. In God's hands, he can actually make those things um, he, he can work those things out so that they produce perseverance. That's not bad to have perseverance, right? It's a good thing to be able to persevere. And then he goes on and he says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now remember, these are people who are lacking a lot. They're lacking freedom and safety and food and shelter. And so he's saying, but, but hold on, hold on, hold on. If you look at this the right way, if you trust God with it, God can use these trials to create perseverance in you. And as you're persevering, here's what's going to happen. You'll become mature and complete. And even though you're suffering, you will, you will find that you don't lack anything, even when life isn't good. He goes on. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, so they lack food and shelter, and he's saying, hey, there's something greater than this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. I love those words. You should ask God who gives generously to all. God is so generous, James says. And he doesn't, he doesn't find fault in you. He doesn't evaluate you or weigh you before he decides whether he's going to bless you or help you. He's a generous God and, and he's generous to everybody without finding fault. And if you ask him, it will be given to you, especially this gift of wisdom. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You'll be knocked around by life. He says that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord for they are double-minded and unstable in all they do. A little pep talk from James this morning. Uh, and then he goes on and he says, and again, perspective, perspective. He says, believers in humble circumstances, you know, those who are poor, those who are suffering, those who are lowly, they ought to take pride in their high position. <laughs> what are you talking about, James? And he goes on and he says... And the rich, those who are living the dream, those who are on top of the world, they should take pride in their humiliation and being brought low since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. James is saying, hey, you know what? Your circumstances, those are temporary. And God, he's a great, he's, he's a great reverser of your circumstances. And so one minute you're on top of the world, the next minute you're brought low. Sometimes you're, you're low and, and Jesus promises he'll bring you up, that you'll be exalted. So just be glad in, in this thing that's eventually gonna happen in your life. And then he concludes this way. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres. He takes it back to perseverance and trial. So blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Right back where we started from. And he says, you're you're blessed if you can stand under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James says, you know, when you stand, when you persevere through hard things, God's got something beautiful for you at the end and it's not like you earn that beautiful thing but when you live through the hard things that beautiful thing becomes even more beautiful. 
See, James says the way you begin this gratitude journey is you shift your perspective, and then he gives us a whole bunch of reasons why we should do it. Again, look at this summary. He says your trials produce perseverance, so can you see trials as not just you know, a pain in my neck, but, but they're, they're the doorway to perseverance, which makes me mature and complete, not lacking in anything. He reminds us that God is generous and he doesn't find fault with us. He reminds us that our circumstances are temporary. God reverses them. He reminds us that God has promised us a bright future after all these trials. There's something rich and beautiful waiting for us and nothing will get in the way of that. He says, put your mind there. See that ahead of time. See, what James is doing is he's showing us what a faith perspective can do. And he's saying a faith perspective, it changes everything. And it's your choice on how you want to see life. You see life the way that is natural to you as an obsessive assessor or a pessimist or whatever you might be, a realist, whatever you might be. Do you see it that way? Even as an optimist, I mean, I'm I'm tired of you optimists, man. Instead of optimistic, it's not about optimism, it's about a faith perspective. James says, if you choose to see life through a faith perspective, it will change everything. And I mean everything. Now, I could keep talking to you about this, and I could try to convince you that this is true, but instead, I would rather show you. So here's what I want you to do. At the end of each of your rows, and it should be on each row, um, there are some three-by-five cards. Take one. There should be some pens in the racks ahead of you. I think we got the balcony this service. They were left out last service, uh, but I think you got it up there. These front rows, it might be in the rack ahead of you, like in one of the, the racks itself. Um, behind you, it should be at the ends of your rows. Um, back there at the tables, you might have to walk over and get some, or we got some volunteers bringing them around. Everyone needs a card. Everyone needs a writing implement. If you don't have one, if you can't find one, um, go ahead and you know rip off a piece of paper somewhere else, rip someone else's card in half. If you need to type in your phone, that works too, but everyone's got to do this. Now, I, I did this um, a year ago at our Thanksgiving Eve service. So for some of you, it might be a little redundant, but to be honest, most of you, you skip that service anyway. Um, don't worry, I'm not bitter. I'm just considering it all joy um, that I get to do this again. And so um, we, we did this, but, but even if you've done this before, it may be a little redundant, but it's powerful. And I'm sure after you walk through this again, you're not going to mind. So um, if you're at home, again, grab something to write with. Don't just sit this one out. Grab something to write with, grab something to write on, preferably two sides or at least a big enough piece of paper that you can do this. And now here's what I want you to do. On one side of the card, doesn't matter which, on one side of the card... I want you to think about and I want you to write down the name of a trial that you are currently facing. Not one that's been resolved in the past, but one that you're living with today. And this shouldn't take long because you probably woke up with it on your mind or you thought of it a few minutes into your day. It's something that's staring you in the face right now. And it could be a relationship. It could be a health issue. It could be some other life circumstance. And I want you to write it down on the card. Now, Now, if that trial happens to be sitting next to you, um, let's be real here. Uh, you could, you could, you could write initials. You could make a symbol. You could write it in code. You know, letter D is a number four. I mean, you could, whatever it is, but you have to write something down. So you have to write something down or type it in your phone. What is that thing that is stressing you out? That is heavy. That is weighty. That is so oppressive. That is sapping your joy. Take a second. Make sure you write it down. Everyone's got to do this. Again, it shouldn't take long because for most of us, 
our perspective is such that we are so aware of these things. We can't, we can't escape them. So, so write it down. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn the card over. Just turn that thing over because that thing makes your stomach hurt and it stressed you out and you didn't want to think about that right now in church and now you're thinking about it. Here's what I want you to do on the other side. I want you to begin to write down um, a short list of things that are good. Things in life that you are grateful for. And again, Chris helped you at the front end of the service if you were here maybe with some of those things. Write at least three. You can just keep writing. But, but as you write, just don't write them and move on. Take a second to breathe that thing in, that thing that's good, the thing in life that's going well, the thing that's giving you joy, the thing that's right. As you, as you write it down, again, maybe it's a person, maybe it's an experience. Actually picture their face if it's a person. It's an experience that you've just had that you're really grateful for. Just kind of put yourself there. Just think through the experience again. Put yourself back in that place. If it's a great meal, remember how it tastes. Just take a second and shift your perspective to the things that are going well. The things that are good, that are beautiful, that are noble, that are lovely, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy. Think about those things. Again, as you write your list, uh, just write a few things down and go back and just really ponder each one of those things. Let your heart feel grateful. Feel the joy, feel the blessing. Now I want you to turn the card back over and look at that stressor, that trial. And, and maybe again, your stomach's starting to hurt and you're like, ah, oh, but, but my guess is that some of that, that thing has lost some of its power already. That, that because you've shifted your perspective, um, suddenly that thing doesn't maybe seem quite as big or quite as powerful, or maybe it still seems really big and powerful. Because, because here's, here's what I want to say, that what we just did, it's valuable, it's a great exercise, that's what a gratitude journal does, that's, that's kind of look on the bright side stuff. It really does change your perspective and make those things easier to deal with. But James actually tells us to do something harder, something crazier than what I just led you through. See, what James tells us to do is to look at that thing that we wrote down, that trial, that thing that's stressing us out, that is overwhelming us. And James tells us to look at that thing, that person, that uh, health situation, whatever it is. And James tells you to put on the perspective of faith. And James says, can you consider that thing joy? Some of you right now, I know what's going on in your mind. You're saying, you're saying, how dare you? Right now, I don't blame you. You're saying, how dare you? Because if you knew what I wrote on this, you would never ask me to consider this thing joy. This is life or death that I'm talking about here. This is cancer. This is, this is divorce and all the repercussions that are going to come that are going to destroy a family. This is a struggle with an addiction that has caused so much pain to me or people around me. This is financial ruin. If, if you knew what I wrote on this card, you're thinking right now you would never have the gall to ask me you you would ne- you, you would just you'd be embarrassed to even imply that i imply that i should give thanks for this thing that I should count this thing as joy and and you know if that's what you're feeling right now i understand 
because through our normal human eyes, it doesn't make sense. Stupid, it's foolish, it's insulting. But James tells us to put on a faith perspective based on who God is and knowing about all that he's done and to look at that thing and to consider it pure joy. Now, if you're struggling with this still, here's what I want you to remember. That the central event of our faith, if if you follow Christ, the central event of our faith happens to be the darkest moment in human history where where we took the son of God, the, the best person who ever lived, and we did something so dark and sadistic. We tortured him, we abused him, we stripped him naked. I mean, just obscene things we did to him, just vile things we did to him. And then we put him on a cross so that we could watch him die. And, and we extracted his life and his breath from him. See, our faith is built on the darkest moment in human history. And in fact, if if you were there, if you were one of Jesus' disciples and you were there that day and you watched this happen, your heart would be ripped out and you would think this is the darkest thing that ever happened and you would be right. And if I stood there next to you and I said, hey, put on a faith perspective, consider this pure joy. You, you, you'd be so angry with me. You might take a swing at me. You might pick up a rock to throw at me. You might chase me out of there, Right? Because it would seem obscene and wrong to even suggest that you could do such a thing. But I want you to remember, I want you to remember what God did with that moment, that dark moment, Jesus giving his life on a cross. Only a few hours later, God had turned the whole thing around. And Jesus was not only back from the dead, but he was bringing life and and healing and wholeness in relationship to all of us, bringing reconciliation to our world. And so now what do we do? What do we do? Every Good Friday, we come and we hear the story and we cry and we feel the evil and we remember how wrong it was and how sinister and how dark and how how evil. And yet before we're done, we fall on our knees and we give thanks, do we not? We look at the cross now and we consider it pure joy. We see what God did. Somehow we turned that thing around and there's no way we could have imagined if we were standing there when it happened that God would do such an amazing thing and yet he has. So as you look at that thing that you wrote down on your card, that trial that you're facing, it may be pure evil. But can you put on a faith perspective? Can you believe in a God who is good enough and powerful enough that somehow you can count that thing, you can consider that thing pure joy, whether it's, it's, it's giving you perseverance and it's maturing you and, and so you'll lack for nothing or, or maybe it's not even about what God's gonna do in this life. Maybe it's just about remembering what God has waiting for you, that these trials are temporary even though they're severe and there is, there's an inheritance waiting for us. I don't know what it is, but right now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment. I want you to write down a prayer of thanks for however God is going to work in your life around, in, through that trial. And you don't have to try to predict how God's going to do it because you can't predict what God is going to do. I wouldn't suggest that. But instead, can you just thank God for being present, for being good enough, for being being powerful enough? Can Can you trust and thank him in advance that he will not forsake you? 
and that somehow, someday, even if it's around the throne of heaven, you will be able to look back at what you're facing now and consider it joy, not because it's good, but because God is good. Take a minute right now and write that kind of prayer.